Well, dear friends, I ask you now to please turn your prayerful attention to 2 Samuel chapter 22. We are coming now to the end of the book of 2 Samuel and the end of David's life, which actually we have recorded for us in the second chapter of 1 Kings. David's life is coming to an end. The end will be recorded in the next book that follows 2 Samuel. And as we come to 2 Samuel this morning, chapter 22, we have really in this chapter the king, King David, looking back over his life and the Lord's kindness, the Lord's blessing, the Lord's help in his life as king. We know he hasn't been a perfect king. But as he looks back, it leads to him giving praise to God. We see here thanksgiving to God. And actually, if you know anything of the Bible, 2 Samuel 22 is again found in Psalm 18. It's almost identical. If you were to read 2 Samuel 22 and you were to read Psalm 18, they're almost identical, almost word for word, apart from the first verse. And uh, a few other transitions, because it was adapted for public praise and worship, as David reflected upon his life. Well, we don't really know when exactly this was written. We have some indication here. Notice in the verse 1, And David spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day, it says, that the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of all his enemies and out of the hand of Saul. Now, that could possibly be the time, if you just turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1, when he was in Jerusalem, and uh, it says there, 2 Samuel 7, verse 1, and it came to pass when the king sat in his house, and notice, and the Lord had given him rest round about from all his enemies, that the king said unto Nathan the prophet, See now I dwell in an house of cedar, but the ark of the Lord dwelleth within curtains. And so he wanted to build the temple there. Of course, Solomon was to build the temple. Now, it could possibly be that time. Or, chronologically, what have we just read in the last chapter? David had to defeat four giants, didn't he? Of the Philistines. It could be chronologically here. Because in chapter 21... Notice verse 22, it speaks of the Philistines coming up against David, and there were four rather large men, giants, not 35-foot men, but the size of Goliath, 8-foot perhaps. Uh, We're given the measurements of Goliath. It says in the verse 22, These four were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servant. So it could be after the Lord gave him rest over those giants, or perhaps early, as I said in Second Samuel 7. We don't know for a certainty. But one thing we do know, that this was given when the Lord gave David victory over all of his enemies, including the Philistines. Now, this is quite remarkable, isn't it? We, week by week, have been going through systematically chapter by chapter through the book of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. And in the providence of God, my friends, in the providence of God, we come and 
we see as David surveys his life and the goodness of God, we too, as we look past on this back year, I trust with David, we can look back over our lives and this past year. We have reason too to give thanks for God's goodness. If we know the Lord and if we've been walking with Him, we too can give thanks. Now there are many things in this Uh, It's called a song here. You'll notice verse 1. And David spake unto the Lord the words of this song. And if you turn to Psalm 18, you'll notice that it says there, in the title, it says there a psalm, but psalm is actually in italics. And whenever you see in italics, the translators are being very honest with us and saying psalm is not actually in the original. So we just glean that for the moment. It is originally a song, but it was later adapted for public worship. The people of God sang this song or this psalm later on. So we have something of the chronology of this. When was it given? Well, it was after David was given uh, victory over all of his enemies. And as he reflected upon the goodness of the Lord, he was left to praise God. And I trust this morning that as we look at these verses, there are many verses to look at here, but we want to just get a general sense of it. We too will have tremendous encouragement to draw from this and things to think about. Maybe many things we haven't thought about in our lives that we just simply pass over and we don't stop to give thanks to God. The psalmist says it's good to give thanks to the Lord. My friend, the fact that you're just here and that your heart is beating is a gift of God. Do you realize God could have swept you away this morning and you may not have made it to the service this morning? James says, your life, my friend, is but a vapor. Every day is a gift of God. Every moment that we have is entirely a gift of God. And we all by nature deserve God's wrath. For like David, we could say we were shapen in iniquity. David said in my mother's womb, he said, I was conceived in sin. He came forth from the womb speaking lies like you and me. We are born sinners, but by the grace of God, God saved that man. And as we survey David's life, we'll think of this song here. Much of this song or psalm, I may refer to it at times as Psalm 18, is what we call messianic. We'll see many things here pointing to Jesus Christ. David simply, in much of this, cannot be speaking of himself. And we will see from what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 15, that David here, in a lot of this psalm, is speaking of Christ. Paul refers to that. And so we want to think about those things. But again, David is the Lord's anointed isn't he? He tells us in verse 50 here, and uh, so on, that David being the king has been shown mercy, and mercy will be shown to David and his seed forevermore. Of course, ultimate mercy would come through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we look to the same God this morning that David did. Uh, that Jeremiah did. Remember when Jerusalem was laid waste in ruin 
And uh, Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. Uh, we read there in Lamentations 3, we're told, this I recall to my mind, as he's surveying uh, Jerusalem on smoke, God had said that he would destroy it. And then after 70 years, the people will return. But Jeremiah, he said this in Lamentations 3.21, This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. God is compassionate toward his people. My friends, salvation is entirely of God's mercy. He says in his word, I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy. And David was a brand plucked from the fire. And so is every Christian. Every Christian is, as it were, a brand plucked from the fire. Did we not read that in Zechariah 3? Where the Lord says to Satan, and he looks at Joshua the high priest, clothed in filthy garments, he says, is this not a brand plucked from the fire? And that's, what a Christian is. Somebody simply saved by grace. And that's our hope. David's hope was the God of his salvation. We will see that in the verse 50. The God who had mercy on him. Saved him as a young boy. And yet was with him. Despite his sin. Despite his murder. Despite him killing Uriah. Despite what he did with Bathsheba. Despite his failings. And David will even say, even though it not be so with my house, yet the Lord hath made a covenant with me, ordered and sure in all things. This is all my salvation. So friends, I trust that the God who did not fail David will not fail us in the coming year because we are his children. Do you remember when Joshua bid his farewell to the children of Israel. Joshua was about to go to the grave. And God had said that they would enter the land, didn't they? And uh, God did not fail any of his promises. In fact, in, Genesis, uh, in Joshua chapter 23, we read in verse 14, Joshua's addressing the people, he says, Know ye in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you, all are come to pass unto you, and not one thing hath failed thereof. And that's such a comfort. The Lord brought them into a large place. And though they failed, every time they repented and called out unto the Lord, he lifted them up and raised up another judge, another deliverer, Unto them. So as we look, friends, to the year that is ahead, we can look to the unfailing God. Though we have failed the Lord, He will never forsake those who love Him and fear Him. And so, wonderfully in providence, isn't it, as we come to this chapter this morning, I believe everything is ordered by God as we come to this chapter of Scripture. And here as David reflects on the goodness of God. Now, firstly, one thing we say about this psalm or song, the one theme, the repeated theme throughout, is the Lord's power to deliver his anointed. David was the Lord's anointed, wasn't he? The king. And the word anointed 
really has to do with the Lord Jesus as well. Ultimately, one would sit upon David's throne, wouldn't there be? I said that this psalm is messianic. And uh, you'll notice in verse 50, notice it's a key verse right at the end of this psalm. Therefore, I will give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen. Ah, but hold on, David's going to die in the next few chapters. And I will sing praises unto thy name. He is the tower of salvation for his king and showeth mercy to his anointed, unto David and to his seed forevermore. His seed would be Christ who would come into this world. And we'll see from Romans 15, verses 8 and 9, how the Apostle Paul, by the Spirit of God, and you'll see a reference in your Bibles, appropriates this to Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing, the theme, God's power. And ultimately, remember what the Savior, what the Lord said concerning the Savior, thou shalt not leave thy Holy One to see corruption. Christ He passed through death. David never had to pass through death. David passed by death. But Christ even went through death. But his body did not see corruption, my friends. Secondly, we could say that the recipient of this psalm, or this praise, is the Lord himself. It's all adulation. It's all praise to God. Now, sadly, the unbelieving Israelite had all kinds of ideas as to why David was delivered from the enemies. Do you remember the early part of 1 Samuel? What a terrible spiritual state Israel were in during the days of Hannah and the temple worship. Remember Eli and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas. How they had no respect unto the Lord. And even after they, as it were, and when they were destroyed. Remember how the people of Israel took the ark and they thought, well, if they could just take the ark uh, into battle, that the Lord would deliver them. But then the ark was taken away. So earlier on in the book of Samuel, we saw the spiritual state of the wicked and how many just thought that victory came just by doing certain things, what we call ex opere operatum, that is, simply out of the act, then something good comes. No. It is by God's mercy that David was delivered. And so it is for every Christian. Not because man ever deserves anything, but because God is gracious. And throughout the psalm, you will find this common refrain. David is saying, here's the bottom line. God is the explanation. God's mercy is the explanation to my deliverance and Israel's deliverance. Remember, we've just thought in the last few chapters how David nearly lost the entire kingdom because of his foolishness with his son, Absalom. How it seemed he he loved his son more than he loved Israel. And more than it seemed at times, he loved God. He nearly lost the entire kingdom, and it was only on account of God's mercy that David was spared. 
But again, friends, I must remind you that God only deals with us because he has decided, he has decided, not we, he has decided to have mercy on us. Salvation is entirely of God. We reject human decisionism. We choose him because he chose us. That's simply what the scriptures teach. And we say that unashamedly. The Lord says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And then he says, I was sought of them that sought me not. Will you figure that one out, my friend? I was sought of them that sought me not. Man doesn't see God by nature, does he? But God seeks out his people. And he will preserve them unto the end. As I said, the key verse here, the key verses are verse 50 and 51. And uh, again, this is a messianic psalm. I wish to very quickly point you to Romans 15. I want you to notice there in verse 8 and 9 how the Apostle Paul, speaking of the salvation of the Gentiles, here he is speaking about Christ, it was the end of the law for righteousness, and how there will be many Gentiles that will believe. It's important you see this with your own eyes and your own Bibles. Now, the Apostle Paul, he takes a quotation here from 2 Samuel 22, and uh, he, he relates this to Christ. It's not that he's applying it, but Paul saw by the Spirit that this had to do with Christ and the Gentiles. Notice in Romans 15, verse 8, Paul says, Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision, that's to the Jew, for the truth of God. Because the Jew is circumcised, isn't he? To confirm the promises made unto the fathers. Think of it. The promise was made in the Old Testament to the fathers. Right? And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. In other words, they will be shown mercy. Now notice, as it is written, and he quotes here from verse 50 of Second Samuel 22, for this cause, notice, I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. And if you notice in your margin reference there, there's a citation. Paul here very clearly is referring to this promise and he saw by the Spirit that this applied not simply to David because David is going to die in the next few chapters. Do the Gentiles know David? No! They haven't bowed the knee to David. But my friends, Gentiles one day would bow the knee to Jesus Christ. God would save not just Jews but Gentiles would bring them into his kingdom. That's the promise given, isn't it, to Abraham, that he should have a seed as vast as the sands of the seashore. Out of the Gentiles, even the Gentiles will come. These are Abraham's spiritual seed who believe upon Christ. For Paul says, does he not, in Galatians 3, if we are in Christ, we are the seed of Abraham. You follow what the Scriptures are saying, friends? We must compare Scripture with Scripture. And here, this key verse points us to not David, but the king in whom the Gentiles will trust.
Now, again, firstly, notice as we come, we make our way through, we're just going to look at various portions of this psalm. I want you to notice it is called a song. Verse 1. David spake unto the Lord the words of this song. Now again, as I said, if you turn to, if you just turn there to Psalm 18, uh, it says there in italics, as I said, it means it's not in the original. It's in the title there, and by the way, the title is inspired, given by the Spirit of God. Title to the chief musician, and notice there in italics, Psalm of David the servant of the Lord, who spake unto the Lord the words of this song. And you notice here in 2 Samuel 22, verse 1 is not included, but almost all the ways you go through, it's almost like for like. Exact. Again, it was adapted for public worship. But here we have the personal account of David, don't we? Of his experience of a covenant-keeping and merciful God. Now, the Psalms are what we call, by the way, I don't know if you know, but in the Hebrew, the book of Psalms is not called the book of Psalms, but it's called the book of praises. The book of Psalms, as we know it, is the church's manual for worship. And by the way, the word here, as we have in song, is also in Colossians 3.16, and it's the exact... When you translate from the Hebrew to the Greek, in Colossians 3.16, we read, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It's the same word translated from the Hebrew to the Greek, songs, and so on. So that's why we sing psalms and songs, as well as the hymns. Now, it is amazing when we come to these verses. As I said, many of them are messianic, as we'll see. David was not a perfect man, but Christ is, and that's the one we are to look to. The first thing I want you to think here with me this morning is, when you look at David and his whole approach to thinking, as he reflects back on his life, There are two ways of thinking, aren't there? People in this world, the ungodly, the unsaved, when they think on their lives and they they look on their lives, they they sort of say something like this, well, things just happen. They they believe in fate. But we don't believe that at all. We believe God has planned, He's ordered, He's directed everything. We look back in faith knowing that God has planned, that has directed our lives. The unbeliever is really saying, well, this is what's happened in my life, and quite frankly, I deserve better. That's the thinking of most people. Uh, But the Christian, he, he knows the analysis of his own heart is that he is a sinner. And he truly understands that God is of purer eyes than to behold iniquity. David, did he not say, Lord, if thou shouldst mark iniquity, who should stand? My friend, the little lies you've told, the ways you've spoken to people, the things that you've said, all deserve God's eternal wrath. We often don't think, do we, of who God is and who we are. But if we had a proper analysis of ourselves and of God, 
I think we'd be rather thinking differently. And the fact that David is still alive and breathing and is given these words just causes him to rejoice. And the fact we're here today, God has not cast us into hell, should rejoice our hearts. Or, the other way of looking is, we look back in faith to God. We see ourselves for what we really are. And for who God really is, the God of mercy. That's how David looked. First of all, I want you to see David in verses 1 to 4. In the first four verses, he sees God as his refuge and strength. And David spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of all his enemies and out of the hand of Saul. And he said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. The God of my rock, in whom I trust, he is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower and my refuge, my savior. Thou savest me from violence. I will call on the Lord who is worthy to be praised. Now, one of the things I want you to notice here is David, unlike the ungodly kings, the ungodly kings and, and the, we could say the pagan kings, they, they normally praise themselves for all of their virtues and things and achievements that they've made. But this psalm is one full praise of God. David never, he gives God all the credit and all the due for all the good that has come to pass in his life. God was his refuge and strength. God was his rock. We've heard of people say, well, he is my rock, or she is my rock. Well, God is the rock of the believer, the one who we can cling to at all times. You know, some people, they'll be your friend in their best times. But when times are too difficult for them, they can't help you. But God is an ever-present help, and the Christian knows this. In the smallest things of life, the Christian, he will take his troubles to God, and God will hear him. In uh, that Psalm 40, we are very familiar with it, I trust. David, the psalmist there, he describes the Lord as his rock. He says, he brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. Psalm 40, and the verse 2, the Lord is his rock. What miry clay? Well, the Lord has taken us out of the clay of Adam, hasn't he? (laughs) We, We were once attached to this world, but now he puts us into the family of God, and these are the people we want to be with. What did David say? Here do my kindred dwell in the church. I want to ask you that question. Who are your kindred? They are them who you spend the most time with. Really. Of course, we've got an unbelieving family. We can't help that. But where do we long to be? David said, I long to be in the house of God. I long to be amongst my kindred. We're out of the miry clay of Adam, friends. Aren't we? And we're put amongst God's people. And above all, God has set us upon Christ. And Christ is our rock and he establishes our goings. 
Christ is the rock. Paul says this, doesn't he, in 1 Corinthians 10. That rock that followed them was Christ. Well, he ascribes the Lord as his rock in every difficulty. He says, therefore, in verse 3, In him will I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation. By the way, wherever we see horn in the scripture, it's an emblem or a symbol of strength in the scriptures. He says, God is the strength of my salvation, the horn of my salvation, my high tower and my refuge. It's the idea of being lifted up to safety. That's what a high tower would do. We have some of them scattered around, don't we? High towers. Well, the Lord is that high tower. And we're told the righteous run in and are safe. I wonder, friends, this last year, when you've been in trouble, what have you done? Have you looked to the Lord? Well, when you've looked to him, you've gone to him, you've found help. You've found comfort. You've found safety. Oh, he's brought you through the trouble. He, he has told us that he's not going to remove troubles, but he's, he's lifted us out of the trouble, and he has been our strength. He's given us wisdom. He's given us understanding. This is what David says. Something else you notice. Though David was a mighty soldier. Remember how he even stood against Goliath. And how he stood in this last chapter against the, the, the other giants. Notice verse 35. He teacheth my hands to war. The actual physical combatant war. He said, whatever I've learnt, and you've got to remember David was not a big man. David was quite small in stature. He says, verse 35, He teacheth my hands to war, so that a bow of steel is broken in mine arms. And he says, Thou makest my feet to be as hinds feet. He says, even when I was in the battle, it was the Lord that gave me the physical strength, that gave me the aptitude and the understanding to overcome my enemies. The Christian will acknowledge that. And, and let me say this, there are times when we think, how am I going to physically do something? But I'm going to tell you this, the Christian, he cries to God, Lord, I'm not physically able to do this, but teach me, strengthen me. My, the, 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 there are a lot of young men today uh, that are lazy. I'm going to be honest with you. They can't even put a nail in the wall. I think ought to be embarrassed. Men ought to be practical as well as spiritual. Hear what I'm saying. David had to learn how to fight with his hands. And there are things that we have to do in life that we have to learn. To be practical is not unspiritual. But it is unspiritual to say, well, I just don't know how to do it. Leave it to somebody else. David was not like that. When he had to fight an enemy, he prayed, God, give me the strength, give me the wisdom, give me the power, give me all that I need. All that I need. My friends, so much that passes for cannot is just sheer laziness today. Sheer laziness. That ought not to be. Men ought to be practical. 
And being practical is a spiritual thing. You ask God for help. Now, if you need to do something, it's always easy to say, well, God, come and help. But sometimes you need to get up off your rear and do it, don't you? That's not being unspiritual. Was the proverb say, go and learn from the ant thou sluggard. What David was even taught how to war. I mean, have you prayed for help for practical and physical things? People often ask me, how do you learn to do that? Well, necessity sometimes, because there's nobody else around to help. So you jolly well get on YouTube and figure out how to do it. Or get a book, get a manual and do it. That is spiritual, isn't it? I'm saying, friends, we've got to be men like David. David was practical. And in his practicality, it showed spirituality that he looked to God to strengthen him. Now, granted, you know, we're not perfect. And we can't do everything. But we do what we can, don't we? We're not going to be idle people. Idleness is a sin. It is a serious sin. And, and this goes for the woman too. You know, we've got to be practical as well as spiritual. Pray for help. Especially in times when you're, when you're thinking in terms of mentally, how do we cope with problems? How do, you, how do we deal with issues? Pray to the Lord. James says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth it liberally. And upbraid us not. My friends, we've got to be people who are full of go and guts and gumption. Where is it today? Would young men be men and young women be women? And, uh, you know, work came before the fall. Go back to the Garden of Eden. Work came before the fall. It's not a curse. It's a blessing to work, isn't it? It's a blessing to do many things. And, and as the Lord gives us days, he will give us strength. Learn some new skill, as I said much earlier in the prayer meeting. But let's never forget that practical things, and you want to grow on practically, You've got to have a healthy mind. Do you not want to be useful to other people? Do you not want to be useful in the church? Do you? David was. We read, don't we, in Acts, that he served his generation. Sure, he wasn't a perfect man, but he was a little man of little stature. But look at him, he goes out against Goliath. The Lord gave him skill, didn't he? To cast the sling. Why, would the Lord give us Skill with a lot of things in life. And there are, there are some things, look, we've got to say, look, this is not conducive to my Christian life. I've got to throw it out of the way. Whatever we do, we do for the glory of God and for the good of other people. Don't we agree? We're not here to serve ourselves, are we? We're here to serve others in the Christian life. Are you useful? David was made useful by the Lord. The Lord strengthened him practically, spiritually. 
And we've seen verse 5 to the verse 20, the Lord David's deliverer. And it's really in prophetic language. Notice, when the waves of death compassed me, the floods of the ungodly men. Now, that's a common refrain there. The floods of the ungodly men. Just so floods of rivers would come up. He said, time and time again in my life, ungodly men were around me. I mean, even somebody like Joab, foolish, led him into all kinds of trouble, but the Lord had to deliver him. The floods of the ungodly men, and this will be true for us as Christians. Christians will be persecuted for righteousness' sake. Well, the world will despise the Christian. And David suffered. But let me say, it's all part of the sufferings and entering into the fellowship of Christ's sufferings, isn't it? Aren't we told in Philippians 3.10, Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul was about to have his head chopped off. He was about to face his executor. But he said that I might know him. Well, David had to suffer but not like our Lord. David passed by death, but the Lord Jesus passed through death. And Christ suffered far more than David ever would. Far more than you and I ever would. But he has promised to be our help. He has promised to be inside us by his Spirit, indwelling us and strengthening us. God, surely, is the strength of Israel, the strength of his people. Then we have in verse 7, the prayer here in God. Notice verse 7, in my distress I called upon the Lord. My friends, he is a prayer answering and hearing God. Notice what he says, and cried unto my God, and he did hear my voice out of his temple. And my cry did enter into his ears. Well, David knew that God would hear his prayers. But David also said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, that is if I'm harboring some secret sin and if I'm continuing to go on in my own way, he says the Lord will not hear me. God doesn't hear hypocrites. You know, people that play at religion, people that play at church, he won't hear you and he won't be your strength. Now you notice in the following verses, verses Eight, some of you might think this is rather strange. When did, in David's life, when did the earth tremble? When did the foundation of the earth move and when was it shaken? He says, then the earth shook and trembled because he was wroth. There went out, out of the smoke of his nostrils. This is all indicating God's wrath. But you say, well, when did this take place? Well, actually, what David is doing here, is he is reminding us that it's the very God that heard the people when they were in Egypt and moved by those mighty plagues and delivered them out and then appeared again at Mount Sinai. He's saying it's the same God, the same God who delivered the people out of Egypt. He says this same God delivered me. That's an encouragement, isn't it? The God that delivered his people out of Egypt and the God that appeared at Sinai, this is the same God that heard me. 
though men couldn't see him as angry, God was. Yes. We read in Exodus 19 how Mount Sinai was altogether on smoke. And friends, let me say this. When those who stand opposed to God's people stand against them, the Lord is the one who takes vengeance. The Lord says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. It's the same God. God hasn't changed. What what does he say in Malachi? Ye sons of Jacob, I am the Lord. I change not. I'm the same God who delivered the people out of Egypt and who there appeared at Mount Sinai and who came in for David. I am the same Lord. And I come with mighty power. And I will do whatever it takes. Verse 10 and onwards, the same thing. And, and we see here a picture of God coming down in majesty in verse 10 to deliver David. He bowed the heavens also and came down and darkness was under his feet. And he rode upon a cherub. Now, of course, we know cherub is associated, isn't it, with the cherubim. Speaking here of the cherubim, Genesis 3 and also Isaiah chapter 6. Remember when Isaiah saw the Lord in the temple, hired, lifted up. The same, associated with God's holiness. And David said, you know, the same holy God appeared for me. And he will. And uh, if you notice in verse 12 to 15, he uses this language of deliverance to describe providential deliverance. And he made darkness pavilions round about him and uh, waters and thick clouds of the skies. Friends, we may face very difficult situations in the year, and we think, how is it possible? How can I pass through this storm of life? Well, we're told in Scripture that he sits upon the floods. Does he not govern all things? Can he not change the weather tomorrow for you? Can he not overcome the hardest of heart. Can he not? Does he not say in Isaiah, is there anything too hard for me? There's nothing too hard for him. My friend, if he converted my heart, if he changed my heart, he can do anything. For the Lord is good. You notice, as we move on, he moves back to the ungodly. Verse 18, and it delivered me from my strong enemy and from them that hated me, for they were too strong for me, for they prevented me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay, and so on. And he brought me into a large place, that is a a, a comfortable or a commodious place, and delivered me because he delighted in me. Now, why does God delight in David? But David was a sinner, because David was a vessel chosen by grace. And it's the same for every true child of God. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. We understand why God hates Esau, but why God would love Jacob, why God would love you, why God would love me, is beyond the limits of our understanding. Knowing my sin, and you knowing your sin, why would God ever love you, my friend? Why would he ever love me? That's beyond the limits of our knowledge. 
and our understanding. But here, because he delighted in me. But it could be said far better of Christ. He delighted in his son. His son who he delivered up on the cross. He was delivered up to judgment. But the Lord would not leave him to the grave. Would he? He wouldn't leave Christ to the grave. Why? Because he was holy. Because he was harmless. Because he was undefiled. Because he was completely different to you and me. He would not leave his holy one. David is not the holy one. But Jesus Christ is. Yeah. Well, David was often in a tight place, in a corner. But the Lord brought him out into a large place. And in the coming year, child of God, let me say there's no enemy, there's no obstacle too great for God. Nothing. And you think of it, if God spared not his son, but delivered him up for all of his people, the Apostle Paul, does he not say, how will he not also along with him freely give us all things? He will give us, we're told, grace, and he will give us glory, heaven, grace in this life. You say, well, I'm struggling with this sin. Well, you pray to God, he'll give you grace. And he'll give you glory. If he gives you grace, be sure of it, he'll give you glory. You are headed for glory if you see overcoming in your life. It's a sign that you are a child of God. But no overcoming. Is there life? It's a question mark, doesn't it? Have I been born again? Do I love God? David's righteousness. Now this could not be said of David perfectly, could it? Verse 21 to verse 25. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. This is where we come in to the messianic part. It, now, in David's life, it, it could be said, compared to most men, and especially to his enemies, David was a God-fearing man. That, that needs to be said. But David was not a man that was perfect. He certainly had his sins, didn't he? Bathsheba, Uriah, and many other things that he did wrong. But there is only one that we could say that this really ultimately speaks of, doesn't it? Christ. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, verse 21, hath he recompensed me, for I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me. As for his statutes, I did not depart from them. I was also upright before him and have kept myself from mine enemy. Therefore the Lord hath recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his eyesight. Now, again, that could never possibly be said in the truest sense of David, but it does speak of Christ, our Lord, to whom David looked to, doesn't it? Now, David we must say there was some righteousness in his life, and there will be in the believer's life. And they are described elsewhere as an afflicted people. Verse 28. With thou, 
I'll read from verse 27. With the pure thou wilt show thyself pure, and with the froward or the crooked or the perverse thou wilt show thyself unsavory. And the afflicted people wilt thou save. Now who are the afflicted? They're afflicted in heart. These, Matthew 5 verse 3, are the poor in what? Spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn. Mourn what? They mourn their sin. They look inwardly and say, I'm afflicted. I've sinned against God. When David sinned, what was there? We have Psalm 51, don't we? Cleanse me. Against thee and thee alone have I done this wicked thing. David was afflicted. Poor in spirit. These honest people. Now notice David's light and lamp of truth. Verse 29. For thou art my lamp, O Lord. And the Lord will lighten my darkness. David needed light. And let me say this, every Christian needs light. We have not arrived. Have we? There's nobody here that's arrived. We need light every day. Christ is the light. He is the light of the world. Look at verse 30. For by thee have I run through a troop and so on. I've leaped over a wall. The Lord's taught him all these things. Now, we could spend much more time, but let me just come down to verse 42 to verse 46. Your mighty God and the deliverer of victory. For we read in these verses of God's power to deliver. They looked, but there was none to save them, even unto the Lord. But he answered them not. This is the ungodly. Verse 43. Then did I beat them as a small as the dust of the earth. I did stamp them as the mire of the street, and did spread them abroad. Thou hast also delivered me from the strivings of my people. This could only be truly said in the proper sense of the Lord Jesus. Think of it, as the Jews hated him. One minute they're crying, Hosanna to the King of Kings. The next minute, crucify him. Well, but you notice the blessing Verse 25, strangers shall submit themselves unto me as soon as they hear and shall be obedient unto me. That could never be said of David in the true and proper sense. Who are the, the, the strangers here? The Goen, the Gentiles who would believe. Those who were afar off. Though Christ was put to death by his own people. Romans 8, sorry, Romans 15, 8. The Gentiles would believe, wouldn't they? We just saw that verse. Now this applies to Christ. How he shall be preached amongst the Gentiles. And so on. Well, David, really we've got to see as we close, was the instrument to destroy God's enemies that were against him. And in the same way, it cannot not be said true of Christ. Will Christ not dash his enemies to pieces? Is Christ not the instrument by which, first of all, he saves his people? But he will also come and judge the world in righteousness by the man that God has appointed, 
Will he not? And just as David was the Lord's anointed, the Lord has Psalm 2, his anointed, Christ. See, I have set my king on my holy hill in Zion. Men shall worship him and praise him. And let me say this. Christ's spirit was in David. Was it not? We're told in Psalm 51, he says, Remove not thy spirit from me. Remember when he sinned? But it's true for every believer, isn't it? And if Christ's spirit be in us, we are Christ's. And we will know the experiences of David. The experiences of God delivering us from our sin, from the world, and from temptation in this life. Will we not? Will we not have cause to praise God? Ultimately, because of Christ, who would go and suffer what David could never suffer. Christ, the anointed king, did what? He came into this world and he lived as the last Adam, we're told. And he died the death of deaths to give his people heaven and glory forever. Look at the verse 48. Remember, if you remember anything from this psalm, it's God that saves, friend. And it's God that saves. Remember, think of it. Israel now have rest from their enemies. But this is just a foreshadowing of what Christ does for his people. Who will give ultimate rest, will he not, for his people. Verse 48, it is God that avengeth me and bringeth down the people under me and bringeth me forth from mine enemies. Thou hast lifted me up on high above them that rose up against me. Thou hast delivered me from the violent man. Therefore will I give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen. And I will sing praises unto thy name. He is the tower of salvation for his king. And showeth mercy to his anointed unto David and his seed forevermore. And as I said, Christ is David's seed, isn't he? Who would be the one that would sit upon David's throne forever. And Paul quotes these words, doesn't he, in Romans 15.8. Where he says, for this cause will I confess thee among the Gentiles. Christ, my friends, is the savior of his people. And soon this world will see him coming in glory. And he will bring in many in the time being to himself. The promise is to David's seed forever. And if we are Christ's, we are his seed, are we not? And his offspring. The spirit of Christ was in David. And the spirit of Christ, let me say, friends, is in every believer. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, look yourself to Romans 8 verse 9. He that hath not the spirit of Christ is none of his. But if we have the spirit of Christ, we can say, David's God is my God. My God has not changed. He's the same God who delivered the people out of Egypt, who appeared there at Sinai, but who appeared for David time and time again. And who said to David, 
that he would not see his Holy One to see corruption. And we can look to him. We are more than conquerors through Christ, friends, who conquered sin and death for us as we venture upon a new year. We too should give thanks and praise, as David. The Lord is my strength and my salvation. When I die, my body will go to the grave, but my spirit to be with Christ, and then at his coming shall be raised to incorruptibility. As Job said, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and I shall see him even in my flesh. Amen.